You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host. Dan Johnson. Happy Wednesday, everybody, aka Hump Day. And uh, we're back with another Hunter Profile slash BS podcast uh, with a guy I met uh, quite a few years ago. His name's Eric McKay. He lives in Michigan, and uh, he had what a lot of us call a dream season. Uh, let's see, he goes out to Wyoming, he shoots an antelope. And he shoots a mule deer, a really nice mule deer. Then he comes back to Michigan and shoots a buck. Then he goes to Illinois and shoots an awesome buck. So he harvested four animals just with his bow alone. That uh, that right there, that that feat right there over uh, that many states and in that period of time is uh, kind of cool. So uh, he shares all those stories with us, walks us through his 2016 season, a pretty good one at that. And, uh, so that's a pretty good conversation I had with Eric. Now I, I saw some cold, nasty weather coming through and I, I don't want this to come off the, the wrong way, but I'm very happy because now I know what you're going to say this may, you know, oh God, I can't even say this right. Cause I don't want to offend I really don't want to offend anybody because it's not supposed to be taken or said to offend anybody. I personally have not shotgun hunted Iowa for a number of years. Uh, I did it in the past. I did some take, took advantage of some drives. One season I almost got shot and just kind of took me off of gun hunting. I, I never really got back into it. I like being up close and personal. I like the, the quietness, the stalking, the preparation that, uh, that, archery, you know, bow hunting kind of brings. And that's why I kind of stick with bow hunting. I have absolutely nothing against gun hunting, shotgun hunting, party hunting. Uh, I'm all for it. If it's legal and your state allows it, good, great, grand. 
But there's just this little selfish part of me every year that wishes that there was just a little bit of bad weather during the shotgun seasons because the let's see it was like two years ago in one of one of my uh, on one of my main farms there was like three or four days of rain during uh, rain and ice and snow and really windy crappy weather and that next year I had probably one of the best crops of mature bucks on my farm that I have ever had in my life. And I feel that it was uh, a direct result of really bad weather during the shotgun season that kept uh, shotgun hunters either out of the woods or from getting back into some of the bigger parts of the, the deeper parts of the farm where you had to take your truck or, um, you know, if the road was the, the two track was muddy, they couldn't make it down there because it was too wet. So I just had to say that. So again, nothing against gun hunting, nothing against party hunting or anything like that. I I used to take part of it. And and to be honest with you, if I had more time and didn't dedicate so much time away from the family for the archery season, I probably would, you know, still, still take part in shotgun season because it is fun. But just, you know, I I saw some nasty weather coming this weekend and I kind of thought of that, thought about that. And I thought maybe this bad weather might keep some of those shotgun hunters out, which, could be a direct result in a, a larger number of mature bucks that following season. So the following season. So you never know. Just something I was random thoughts. You guys know how I am. I have random thoughts all the time and they make no sense at all. So anyway, we got an awesome podcast coming up today with Eric McKay from Michigan. He's going to talk about his kick-ass season that he's had so far. But before we get into today's podcast, Listen to what John Livingston from Deer Lab has to say about Deer Lab. That's a great question, Dan. Uh, Deer Lab is a web-based service that helps you manage and analyze your trail camera photos. We work with any trail camera. It doesn't matter what kind of trail camera you have. Um, You upload your photos to our service. As long as it has a timestamp, we can work with it. And so we basically go in and pull weather data from your local weather station and give you additional information that trail cameras can't capture. We also aggregate all of the data together. So you know when and where this particular buck is moving, uh, how he's moving by wind direction and wind speed. Uh, There's a lot of different reports that we can provide, but we basically are trying to simplify the process. Instead of having to manually understand what he's doing, we automate a lot of that information. If you guys want to find out more information about Deer Lab and find out how Deer Lab actually works, be sure to go to the URL that was set up specifically for the Nine Finger Chronicles users, and that's DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers. And on that page, it will allow you to sign up for a free 30-day trial period. I, I believe that's up to 23 to 20 days more than the trial period if you went to the normal website. So again, check out that that uh, website specifically set up for Nine Finger Chronicles listeners. That's DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers. Now, let's get in to today's 
Hunter Profile Podcast with Eric McKay. All right, on the phone with me now is Eric McKay. How you doing today, Eric? Good, good. You? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, I'm I'm on the phone and I get to talk about hunting, so it really doesn't get too much better than that. You got that right. All right. So the reason I, I reached out to you is because, you know, I, I'm on social media quite a bit with uh, the blog and the podcast. And every time I'm flipping through my feed, it almost seems like I see you behind another buck and or another animal or, you, you know, a, you killed an antelope or you killed a, a buck in this state and a buck in this state. So it looks via Facebook anyway, it looks like you have had one hell of a season. I sure have. It is one for the record books. You know, I mean, I've always been able to kill deer, but this year I think is, uh, tops it all. So, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that in just a little bit, the details about that, but why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? I am from Grand Haven, Michigan. I am a blueberry farmer. My family owns one of the larger farms, and uh, it's on the west side of Michigan. I'd show you my hand if a uh, typical <laughs> Michigander would show you where you live, but I can't do that on the on the radio like this. So it's uh, on the west side on Lake Michigan, and uh, the sand dunes have uh, great soil for blueberries, and we got about 800 acres, and um, it's my life. I've worked out here since I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, I, having an outside job and seeing deer and turkey and just being outside, I'm, I'm in sitting in the tractor right now, you know, um, obviously it's shut off, but, uh, <laughs> sitting here talking about hunting, like you said, I can't, cannot do that. It's the best thing in the world. So, you know, being outside and all that, I think the love of the outdoors has really brought that out to me and, and, uh, just, just, I live the life. I feel like I live the life, you know? That's awesome. So, for those of us who are not familiar with, you know, blueberry farmer, when when you think of farmer, we think of livestock and you think of corn and beans, but you know, there's different, obviously different types of farmers out there. When is a blueberry farmer's busy seasons? Right. Well, that's a great question because it just depends on where you're at in the globe, you know, down in, down in Georgia, they're, they're farming them, you know, in April and May. But if you're a Michigan blueberry farmer, you um, harvest about July 4th to Labor Day. So what that does is, is it sets you up. You get you work through the heat of the summer. You harvest all your fruit. And we grow 23 different varieties just ourselves. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. But, you know, like apples, like there's so many varieties. And blueberries are the same way. You know, you go down into Mexico and, and further south, there's a whole other bunch of varieties that, that we've never even heard of it just depends on where you're at out there but but for us summertime july 4th to labor day and which is great for the hunting season because i get the fall off basically nice. i still work all fall we replant fields and and uh do still some ground spraying and uh, and all kinds of stuff i could go on and on about what we do but you know in the fall it's it's the reason i can hunt as much as i do you know and but yeah, I mean, farming is, is farming and, and people don't realize how many things that are out, anything you eat, anything, you know, it's farmed. So it comes from somewhere and to be a Michigan, to be a Michigan blueberry farmer, the, the plants go dormant six out of the year, six months out of the year. So 
we have huge berries. They have tons of flavor and they're known for that. And, and I'm, I just feel blessed. I feel blessed what I do. And, and I work with my family and we all, you know, we, we don't kill each other somehow, you know, <laughs> we get, we get, we get through the, we get through the year, you know, and I'm sure other farms like it, but you know, if you asked me how to farm corn, I couldn't tell you the first thing. You know, I, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can drive a tractor. I can drive anything that moves. It's metal, but you know, it's just, it's just what we do here in Michigan right now. So, so, so you said that you have, you know, several varieties. Are you good enough to tell you, you know, by tasting a single blueberry, what particular like strain of blueberry that is? Absolutely. Yeah. I, oh, I wow. mean, at least our variety, you know, at least our varieties, you know, yeah. sometimes they'll throw a zinger at me if we're at a farm show and or something and they're like, Hey, tell me what kind of bush this is. You know, I, I don't know. Cause we may not have that <laughs> variety or whatnot, but, but yeah, the, the, like the five or six main varieties that kind of make up most of the farms. Um, those are easy to tell, especially in the summer when you see all the foliage, the size of the berry, the crown of the berry, the, you know, some berries are more round. Some berries are more like, uh, kind of a flatter, shape and you know and they have totally different tastes like you said they do they really do it's it's amazing some are mixed like northland are mixed with a wild blueberry so they're very very strong you know they they don't get any frost damage at all because of the because of that wild strand in it and they're very tough berry you can't kill the dang things if you tried they're just tough you know but yeah i could tell you so so how do do deer eat blueberries Yes. And a lot of people think they don't like them very much because you really don't see a lot of deer, you know, in the fields that much you do in the summer, but I'm one to tell you, I see them, I see them eating it, you know, and there's a reason they're out there. You know, I know we, we plant grass down the center because it's a, they're in rows they're about 10 foot rows space between. And in the rows we plant rye or, or some kind of a sod just to keep the field stable. So it's not a, uh, dirt pond all the time and uh you know the deer definitely eat a lot of that too and that attracts them to the field but but i'm telling you what they eat them blueberries i know they do (laughs) (laughs) okay last question about blueberries because this is a hunting podcast but but i am like i'm i'm interested in blueberries for some reason (laughs) i know i know um what is the life of a blueberry plant how long until you have to cut it out and, and replant it well there's a lot of older varieties um, that a lot of guys around here, there's jerseys that, um, they get a gull wasp in them now and they get just diseases after they get about 50 years old where they just don't produce anymore. Cause we have some plants that are 70 years old. Oh, really? And, and you, you know, you prune them every other year or some guys every year. Um, but you know, you don't have to prune them hard. You just prune them a little bit and, and you just keep, they'll keep producing as long as you keep them healthy but yeah oh yeah we have plants 70 years old but otherwise you know most varieties the last 40 50 years and, and you you cut them out and you replant you replant a new field you know nice so you know obviously you don't technically have a planting season um, i know you guys probably expand on on your acreage you know on the amount of blueberries that you have every year but um is what time of the year do you, do you plant the bush? We do it in the fall, in October, in the fall. Okay. you know, and we usually try, we're, 
we do a lot more than most farmers. Most farmers just go through their fields and replant some, some of the dead ones that they have. But we'll actually, since we're trying to expand so much that we plant 10 to 15 acres every year, nice. you know, and it just keeps on, keeps on adding up, you know, adding up. And we have the, the workforce to do it and all of us are devoted. So, so we get it done, you know, and half the time I'm sneaking out to go out hunting and stuff, but we still get it done, you know, in the <laughs> October time, that October to you know, time span, sometimes September, depends on the right. weather. So how many from, from your guys's company, your guys's uh, farms, how many pounds of blueberries do you harvest in a year? <laughs> My uncle would probably give you a hard time for trying to tell you that, but it depends. Um, but I mean, you're looking at three to 5 million pounds. That's a big farm. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. You know, and, and Michigan, Michigan's number one in the country for blueberries. Yeah. Wow. You know, and then you got Oregon and uh, Georgia and there's a lot of, a lot of, almost every state has some blueberries, but, right. but Michigan's number one. Right. Right. Okay. Enough about blueberries, but thank you for that information, okay. man. That's no, you're welcome. And, <laughs> no, a lot of people ask and you know, and it, it's fun to talk about and I'm happy to because it's just interesting stuff, you know? Right. For sure. All right. So, blueberry farming but also you live in michigan michigan has a huge tradition of uh you know hunting not only with bow and gun and everything but who who kind of got you into uh hunting it'd be my dad my dad um he took me out ever since i was you know could walk and and just my uncles and and all my family as a whole you know, and, and I just, he got me a bow when I was young and flinging arrows in the backyard with my cousin Nate and, and man, it just, it just stuck, you know, and like the, just the deer itself, you know, you, you see it, that's all, all we can talk about in the fall, you know, and, and some, a lot of the guys don't hunt, just like me and my cousin Nate really are the only serious bow hunters. And, you know, if anybody sees a deer in the field, you better let me know, you know, better let Eric or Nate know, because, uh, you know, because it, it's cool to, to see something goofy out there or something that you can really try to hunt hard and, yeah. and get after. And it's just a challenge, you know, but, so, but my dad and my uncles and, and everybody kind of got me going. Okay. So did you start off, uh, with gun hunting, you know, sitting on your dad's lap in a tree stand or in a blind or, you know. Is it, was that your introduction or did he have you shooting a bow as early as you possibly could? Um, it, it was sitting in the blind with him cause I was too young really to, to, to be able to do it more, more gun hunting too, you know? Yeah. And you know, that was, that was the big, and we have a little cabin up North or a pretty nice cabin actually up, up in Walhalla, Michigan. And, and that, that was a big thing too, having that property, it's all woods and just getting out and, and having a place to go was, was key, you know? Right. Right. All right. So, I mean, you, you killed, you killed deer and antelope with all types of weapons this year, but we'll, we'll kind of focus on, on bow hunting at this, at this point, when did you get into bow hunting and how old were you? Hmm. I'm not real sure how old I was. Probably. I was probably eight to 10 years old when I really started shooting a bow that, you know, maybe had enough weight to kill a deer, but I never killed my first deer until I was about 12. Right. And, you know, cause I really couldn't pull enough weight and my dad wouldn't let me go out in the woods until I, until I was accurate, until I could, 
you know, effectively take an animal and, and, you know, that, so, so right around that uh, eight to 10 year old age, I got into it, but I didn't kill my first deer until I was about 12. Okay. So, so about 12 years old is when you started, uh, you know, killing, you know, being able to kill some deer with your bow. Um, when did you start taking bow hunting serious and not just kind of like, okay, I can pull, I can pull a bow back. I'm going to shoot it. When did you start getting into it? I guess taking it to that next level of, you know, maybe trying to identify patterns using trail cameras, uh, doing all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Sick. I'd say I was 16 years old when I could drive because when okay. I could drive, I, I got a little Ranger truck and man, I thought I felt like I was on top of the world. I could, I could <laughs> take that thing anywhere you know, I could scout, I could, I could get into it. And I was green, you know, I didn't know what I was doing really. I did, but you just made mistakes when you're young, you know, and right. I'm walking through bedding areas and everything else, you know, and, and I just slowly learned and, you know, talked to my dad and my uncles and figured out what I was doing wrong. And But, it, but they made me learn the hard way too, you know, and it, it was awesome. You know, when I could drive, that's when it clicked and I could get out there and, hunt as much as I could. I didn't have to get a ride somewhere or something, you know? Right. So what were some of the biggest learning experiences for you from, you know, the age you, you know, the age that you started when you were 16 till today, as far as bow hunting is concerned? Well, um, I'd say just, just the elements itself. You know, I, I learned to hunt the wind cause I used to not, I used to just go hunting. If I had time, I'd go hunting. And now that, you know, I'm on the level I am, I can kill mature deer, even in Michigan, which a lot of people, you know, to give up Michigan a hard time, but there are nice deer here. And, you know, just the fact that I use those trail cameras and I know they're there. I mean, I almost feel like it's cheating because they're there. And back in the day, those guys never even knew what bucks could have possibly been around. And, and by using those and utilizing everything like that, I hunted the wind. I got trail cameras. I only hunted when I really thought a spot was clutch and man, that has worked. I'm so patient on that. You know, I don't want to blow out a spot because they always say the first time you hunt a stand is one of the most effective times. Your scent's not there. You're, you just haven't been in there, you know? Right. And right. man, that I just, I've learned so much over the years and, and, and then having the yarded the distance that of shooting now that I do, is just unbelievable, you know? So it's, it's really made me effective. <laughs> I got you. Know? So when you say the yardage, um, do you, I take it you practice a lot with your bow? Yes, I do. I mean, just five years ago, you wouldn't catch me shooting over 40 yards, you know, but, right. but like when we, like I was, you were saying, like, I got an antelope and a mule deer out west this year. I mean, I shot the antelope at 69. Um, I shot a female antelope too. I had another tag at 74 and then I shot the deer at 34, but you know, just that crazy yardage and people, I know the whole realm of how far is an, uh, you know, lethal shot, this and that I'm telling you what, seven yards is not that hard. If you really shoot a lot, you can do it, you know, and, and I feel confidence. I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot that far if, if I didn't have that confidence. And my buddy Joe and I, we practice in the summer when I'm not working and harvesting blueberries, but you know, it just makes such a difference when, when you get back out there and, and you know, you can take a shot, you know, and kill an animal every time. 
right? That's kind of an inter- interesting concept because you know how uh, social media is and forums and everybody thinks their answer or their opinions, the right answer. You know, you got guys out there saying, Oh, I'll never take a, a shot over 30 yards. And for me, I hunt in thick, nasty little areas. So it's not like I'm trying to take a shot over 30 yards because I would be trimming, you know, shooting lanes for three days straight if I wanted to do that. <laughs> right. but, but what kind of, what kind of terrain are you hunting that allows you, you know, some of these longer distance shots? That that's exactly it, you know, is the out west type of hunting and down say a blueberry row, you know. Yeah. And you, you can you can take shots like that. Out of a tree stand, I have to agree, you you're never really shooting over thirty, forty yards ever out of a tree stand, unless you're hunting like a cornfield or some kind of a field edge, you know, even right. a blueberry field if you can shoot over the bigger bushes. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean in the woods and stuff, you don't want to be swinging arrows at seventy yards. But yeah, out west, that is where you get that distance. And that's why I shoot. I shoot out to 100 yards for practice. And, you know, you're hunting sagebrush, you're hitting, hunting rolling hills. You pop up over, you use the terrain to get to where you want to be. And you pop up, you got to have a range finder too. You can't, you can't be guessing. And hit that animal, know the yardage. And wind too, huge, huge effect on with wind. You know, you think right. shooting rifles and stuff affects when my gosh i mean i've seen my arrow dance sideways you know shooting out that far you know and and it's it's not ethical if it's really windy to take a shot that far so there's a lot of elements but but out west we're hunting northeast wyoming out there and you know you just it's just open there's no trees you know to a eastern hunter it's it's just different world you know it really is before we get into this particular year about that you know, the Western hunt that you went on. Um, what is, I mean, are you back in Michigan? Are you hunting a lot of the, the blueberry farms that you have access to, or are you hunting any other uh, private or, or public ground? I, that's a great question because I do hunt around the farms. Now it's not a blueberry field that I'm hunting. We own a chunk of woods is about 50 acres is all. And that's about the only woods we got left. Everybody thinks, you know, we have all these big bucks running around or something, but we really don't own any woods. It's just adjacent properties hold deer. And the thing that has the good deer is like, like there's a power plant nearby and nobody can hunt that. So, so it's like a kind of a sanctuary for the deer. And that's why we've had better deer in the last few years. There's a big, there's a family that owns a big chunk of land too. So I'm hunting just a small 50 acre parcel and that's where I've been getting a lot of nice deer the last few years. But otherwise, I grew up hunting on public land up by my cabin. I, yeah, we'd hunt the cabin land as well. But we'd go off and we'd walk and we'd hunt public land. And we'd, we'd go all over the place. And, and I learned that huge woods. I mean, people that live in the corn states wouldn't even believe how big a woods that we got up here you know it's i mean for miles i mean you would get lost because everything looks the same and, and it's tough hunting it really is but but i grew up both hunting public land and the farm so i kind of got a little bit of the best of both worlds because because i learned from both you know right okay so this year we're going to talk about this year and you had one hell of a year and it it did it start with a, a trip out west it did right when um the farm season stopped um well not stopped but slowed down right around labor day we took off for the first week of september 
and went out to Wyoming, me and two of my good friends and, uh, bow hunting only out there. And I had a female antelope, a male antelope tag and a mule deer, or it's actually an either, um, whitetail or muleys. Cause there are some whitetail in the area, but, but mostly muleys on, on the particular property that we are hunting and yeah, went out there. I mean, it was like 85 degrees, you know, you're just going, holy cow, this is crazy. You know, if you, if you, if you take something, you, you better take care of that animal as fast as you can. And, uh, yeah, headed out there and, um, we were all tagged out within three days, four days. Oh boy. So we so, got busy. So, okay. So was this your first year out to, uh, Wyoming and, what kind of what kind of property were you hunting on? Were you hunting on uh, some state ground, or did you have access to uh, some some private ground? Um, that's a good question too. Yeah, that we have a private ranch. Well, our, okay. you know uh, that we got through some guys um, at our local gun club, good friends of ours. We asked, we're like, we really want to go out west. So this is our second year. We went last year was the first year ever, and okay. we asked them, and they said, yeah, call this guy. He's got like 25,000 acres and he he you know he'd love you Eric because you'd talk to him about blueberries and all this shoot I brought the guy like 60 pounds of blueberries and I thought he was going <laughs> to give me a kiss you know <laughs> uh, his whole his whole family was just in love with it and you know and they have this all this property I'm like man I'd be in love with this out here there's just deer and antelope everywhere you know right. and and we go out there and and Sure enough, it's second year, you know, that half the deer are in velvet too, which is, I mean, how many guys can say they've killed a deer in velvet? And, and that was just so cool to see that last year. And it just got us hooked, just so hooked. And we had to go back this year and I believe we're going back next year too. So, so it's a big, so, it's a big chunk of ground and he only lets, um, one group of hunters at a time hunt his land and you do got to pay trust or, uh, you know, like fees to to be there and hunt his land and you know it's not cheap but it's still cheaper than going to a guide or outfitter i've never not gone to a guide or outfitter i always have hunted a do-it-yourself hunt and that's probably how i will always be right so that's uh so you pay kind of like a trespassing fee that's what they call it out west that allows you to access their property and hunt on it exactly and, and you know it, if you're hunting antelope he'll say Oh, it's this much or deer this much. And he actually charges cheaper for bow hunters because he doesn't have as many bow hunters. People look at you like you're stupid out there bow right. hunting. You know, they're like, oh, they don't even know it's the bow season half of the time. Right. Right. You know, it's it's just a different world, you know. I remember uh, I remember my first time out west uh, and I was hunting some family ground in western Nebraska in some in the sand hills in Nebraska and uh, I said well I'm going to come out and bow hunt if, if that's all right with you and he's like yeah but that's not very smart I don't, I don't know why don't you shoot him with a gun I goes, well I'm a bow hunter he's like that's stupid <laughs> so, so they don't you know, I know some, it. it's just they don't get it you know people just don't get it I guess it's just you right. got to be a bow hunter at heart to understand right so you go, you get out there and, um, what kind, you know, you had an either or deer tag, so you could shoot a mule deer or a whitetail. Uh, and you also had an antelope tag. Um, let's, let's start off with your, your antelope hunt. When you got out there, what's, what's the first thing that you guys do when you get out to Wyoming? First thing we do 
you know, after you set up camp and kind of get, get settled down. First thing you do, if it's, it depends on the time of the day. If it's, you know, we're, we got to sleep or whatever and wake up in the morning, we'll deer hunt the morning. We'll basically ride around and scout and look for deer. But if it's afternoon, we'll, um, we'll antelope hunt. Just, you can see them from far away. Most of the deer are all bedded somewhere anyway. But I swear, anywhere you look out there, there's antelope. I mean, yeah. they might be three miles away, but you see them. So you go get closer, see if there's a good deer or a good uh, buck to shoot, and you put a stock on them is how we do it. And, you know, some guys can sit at a watering hole all day long, you know, and, and I know it's effective, but, man, it's like 90 degrees, and, right. and I can shoot. I can shoot distance. And we're like, you know what, let's see if we can get close enough to these things. Because we honestly, we were kind of going out there blind. We didn't know if right. we were going to even be able to get within 200 yards of these things. Because sometimes they seem like they just, they're gone, you know, like right when they see you. Because they got eight power vision, like binoculars. Right. And, you know, we, but I get down these bottoms and sure enough, we, uh, we were getting close enough to them to, to take ethical shots. And it, we, we missed, um, I, I never missed, uh, the male, but I missed, uh, before that and my buddies, they both missed a couple of times. So, you know, it was, it was difficult at first because they have a harem of does around them, right. but you have so many eyes watching you, but, but you, we found out if you get down in these like crick bottoms and you basically use the lay of the land to your advantage, you can get close enough to them to take them with a bow. And, and we all did it, you know, and you use the sagebrush crawling on your knees and on your belly. And there's little cactuses out there. We had, we had so many needles in our knees and our <laughs> wrists by the time we got done. But, you know, you, you got to do it. Otherwise, you'll never get close enough to them. But, but that's how we antelope hunt. I mean, spot and stalk, you know, get up on a high point, look out there. And, and we weren't even trophy hunting, you know. We just wanted to shoot a nice antelope buck. And we right. would be happy, but sure enough, my buddy Joe and I, we both got Pope and Young antelope, oh, and nice. and my buddy, my other buddy Jared, that he got one too that was almost that big, but they were all just beautiful ones. You know, we couldn't even believe it. We didn't even know we had gotten even the rancher who's not a hunter. He's like, "Wow, those are big ones." You know, we're like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so we 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 really didn't know how big they were, and I guess until we. uh so we kind of put a tape to them and stuff, you know? So walk me through real quick, you know, you, you glass them, you get down in the bottoms. Are they bedded at this point when you see them or are they up feeding? Um, cause when I was antelope hunting out again in Western Nebraska, uh, I felt like I was getting busted all the time. And, um, the County that I was hunting in actually has no cricks in it. There's no running oh, water nice. of any kind in that, in that particular County. So it's all grassland for cattle. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned finding a low spot and, and trying to get around them. Was there much for terrain? And it, as far as a low spots are concerned, because I, f- I feel where I was at, there was no low spots. It was all kind of just wide open. Right. You know, and that's, could be the reason that we had success because there is terrain where we were it's all constantly rolling hills you'll get a flat every once in a while but but yeah i mean that is the only reason you're gonna get close to these things because if it was all flat i don't think you could ever get close enough you know it's just they got such good eyes and there's so many of them sometimes together that 
you know, you're not just fooling one, you know, and yeah, that was the thing. I think that's the only reason we were successful is because of the rolling hills there. The sagebrush is just tall enough where you can get behind it, if, you know, even on your knees sometimes. You know, some places the sage is only six inches tall. So, you know, by the creek bottoms, it seemed like the sage was taller. So that is the reason we got antelope. Otherwise, if it was a big flat field, like I said, I don't think you could kill them. They'd be almost unkillable with a bow. <laughs> So, so walk me through this particular buck, um, and talk to me, you, you got him on glass. Uh, you guys somehow decided it was your, you know, it was your time to, you were going to be the shooter on, on this particular stock. Walk me through from the time that you glassed him to the time that you killed him and in detail, explain, explain that, uh, that period of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, my buddies decide to take a nap. So I get in the truck by myself, drive south a couple miles. Sure enough, I see a group of antelope. I get out the spotting scope, which is clutch. You need a spotting scope if you go out there, especially if you're picking a certain animal out. But I see, and it was midday. So like you said, some of them were bedded down. But I could tell that you can just see the black, you know, on the males from so far away. And they have this patch on the side of their face. You know, they're just a telltale sign. And, and I could see this buck and I knew it was worth shooting. And like I said, I really wasn't trophy hunting anyway. I just wanted to shoot any nice buck. And I saw this, I mean, he's probably, I don't even know how far away, far. So instead of driving closer or something of that nature, I decided just to hike it in. Why not? You know, I get down in the, and he was along the creek bottom and the creek is only like four feet wide. It's not like a huge creek bottom and there's hardly any trees. There's probably like a tree every 50 yards down this thing. You know, it's not a thick creek bottom. And, and I could tell, cause there's cattle out there too. And I could tell, I could get on the, the cattle trails going down to this creek. So I basically make my way about halfway to him, pop back up, get binoculars on him, see him again. He's still there. They're all loitering around. They were, you know, they had no idea I was even there. And I kept getting closer and closer and I'd pop up every couple hundred yards to make sure I knew that he hadn't moved off to somewhere else. And when I got close enough to where they maybe could start hearing me, I, I really took it slow. I mean, I'm, I'm on my hands and knees. I am moving my bow one, you know, arm length at a time up this, up the, up the Creek. And I got, I came up over, the top of the creek because it's probably about 15 feet deep you know the the whole gorge going down to the creek i come up look over top sure enough he's right there i mean probably 80 yards I'm like holy cow i didn't realize i was that close but there there was those all over there was those actually between me and him and and i was just worried that they were going to see me so i basically just stood still there for at least 10, 10 minutes. I know it seems like forever when you're in the moment, but I'm just sitting there. I'm watching this thing just in awe. It's beautiful. Blue, blue sky. You know, I'm sitting there just, I'm in heaven, you know, this is awesome. And I basically just waited until he, he was walking around. Just, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it. He was, he was just walking around feeding and he, he got close enough and I ranged him at 69 yards and I drew back 
and I watched him for at least another minute or two because he was facing me. And he, he gave me a perfect broadside shot, and I released the arrow. And he probably went 40 yards and fell over before. And I didn't even know what happened. You know, what happened just like that. I'm just like, holy cow, I just shot my first antelope, you know. <laughs> and, and and when I walk up, all the does jumped up, and some of them didn't even go that far. I'm like, wow, they weren't that spooked in the first place because I was so staying so far away and putting a long stock on, like, on them like that. I mean, I walked a mile, you know. It was, it was worth it. It was worth it. Instead of jumping out of the truck and, you know, walking 200 yards and shooting at him or something, it, it's not, it's not as fun. You gotta, you gotta really put your time in and, and to outsmart an animal like that. It was, it was something else. And I didn't realize how big he was, like I said. And they always, the guy told me that the more does they have together, the bigger the buck usually, just the bigger bucks have more of a harem. Right. And sure enough, he, he did. He was, he was big. Nice. So I, I so, couldn't believe it. I, you know, when you ranged him at 69 yards, did, do you have a, like a one pin sight or did you have a 70 yard pin? I have a 70 yard pin. I have a seven pin spot hog. I shoot. Okay. And, uh, okay. yeah, I have a, a specific 70 yard pin. So I, I just was never into the single pin movement and all around and stuff. I just like a stationary. I know that yardage. I can, I can shoot that yardage, you know? Right. Right. Okay. So, is this the first antelope that you've harvested with a bow or harvested? Yes, period? it is. I guess for a period. Yeah. I've never shot one ever with a rifle either. So, I mean, you didn't have any of your friends, you know, with you at, at this time, you were by yourself you went out there Yeah, uh, and you killed, you killed this thing. When you walked up on, on a different species like this, is it something different than a, like I've never killed another species other than whitetail yet in my life. And I'm really looking forward to that day. Is there any type of different excitement from killing a different species? Absolutely. You know, just, just the goofy looking, you know, yeah. I mean, they're so fast, but the one thing that really stood out to me is the smell of them. They are, they have the mustiest smell you know, I've ever, it's just something completely different because they, all they eat is sage. And that's yeah. why some people say they taste so bad, but I have to disagree. It, they, I think they taste great. And, and, you know, but that, that was just blew me away walking up, seeing an animal, you know, almost as big as a, as a deer body, you know, I mean, I don't, they probably weigh a hundred, 120 pounds, you know, good one. And, and to see that thing on the ground, I mean, I just sat down next to it. And just, I looked at it for like 20 minutes because I, I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, I, I mean, I, everyone has these goals of they want to get elk moose, you know, all the North American game. But like you said, this was something different for me. And even though I'd killed a mule deer the year before, but, but this was something even different yet. And it was, it was, it was amazing, you know, and, and I can't wait to have that feeling again on something else someday because because it's hopefully going to happen, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Okay. So, so you, you harvested your antelope, uh, and then at this point you still had a, a deer tag, right? Yes. Okay. Now were you successful with, um, with a deer tag in Wyoming as well? Yes, I was. Okay. So let's talk, you know, after, did you shoot the, the antelope first while you're out there? I did. Yep. Okay. So let's talk to me about the transition after you, you know, harvested this antelope to now, okay, 
I got to, I'm going after either mule deer or whitetail. Um, what's the change in the game plan from that point? Are you still glassing from the road and spotting and stalking or is, is there a different approach that you take? Yeah. What we do, you know, and then there's a million ways you can go about doing it, but what we found out that the deer are very active in the morning and we were doing the spot and stalk type of type of hunting on the deer as well, but it'd be always right away in the morning. Cause once I go up into the Hills, and bed down in that sage. I mean, you could spend all day looking for them, and that and that's what we did, and that's how I end up getting mine. But they're so active, and he has one alfalfa field out there that is like a mile long, and it's not the thick alfalfa you're thinking of, like the beautiful Iowa clay dirt just growing this thick stuff. It's it's thin, it's real patchy. You know, they don't spray, they don't farm it. It's just planted, and it's wherever there's a little bit of water that gets congregated somewhere and it happens to grow and a lot of the deer just feed. And I think that's um, why the deer come from miles. It seems like out there to, to go to those types of, of food and it being basically summer still with first week of September that you can get on, you can get on deer, you know, where they're going to be. And, and that was our, our game plan was, get around, you know, the area of the alfalfa field in the morning, hunt them. And then we actually set up blinds or I even bought a tree stand where there is actually a tree and, and I'd hunt out of that in the evening. So that's kind of how we deer hunt out there. Spot and stock mornings, mid afternoon. If we're not antelope hunt, we're deer hunt. We're looking around spot and stock. And then the evenings we always sat and, and in the evening, say they come, come out of a certain corridor out of the sagebrush a mile down, you know, out of this alfalfa, you just move down there the next evening. You know, it, it's simple as that. You, you see where the deer come out, what direction they're coming from. And out there, they, man, it's crazy. If you time it right, there's just deer everywhere. It's something like you've never seen. You know, they look like old dots all over the place in the field. But you just basically try to cut them off, you know, and, and figure out where they're coming out into the field. It's really any hunter could do it. It's, it's not, you don't really have to think about it that much, you know? Okay. So is there a good mixture where you were hunting of whitetails or muleys, or were you dead set on trying to harvest a, a mule deer? Right. I know a lot of guys go out there and they still like to kill the, the big whitetails, but this particular property, there is probably 95% mule deer and 5% whitetail. So it's, predominantly mule deer and like you said harvesting a different animal than a whitetail was kind of something that we were set on even though whitetail hunting is my number one love but to get a mule deer was kind of cool so we went out there and we did it last year and we did it again this year so yeah we're going after mule deer we've never even seen a whitetail buck on his property yet they've all been does so so yeah we're going after muleys and man, we've seen some big ones far away and you see those big wide things, you know, you're like, holy cow. It's just, they, they look so big and sometimes right. you'll get close and it'll be a big fork. You're like, how is that a fork? That thing looks like it should be a, you know, it's a 20 inch wide white tail, you know, it looks like, but it's just, just a big fork. And you only almost start laughing sometimes, you know? So but, kind of the same, same thing as you, you know, you walk us through, you know, the encounter with first off simple question how many days did you hunt for this deer before you ended up harvesting him 
Mm, we were out there. I think I shot him on the third day. Um, I never really had a chance to shoot another deer before him. And like I said, we're not super trophy hunters. We, of course, everyone wants to kill a big buck, but we were just dead set on just getting a nice four by four, five by five. If you can, I know that's setting the bar high, but there's a lot of them out there and, and you can, you know, they go by width a lot. You know, people go, Oh, you got to get the wide ones. Well, I'm thinking anything wider in my ears. I'm bowhunting, man. It's a trophy to me. I'm, I'm going to take them. And the first, he was basically the first deer I had a good shot at. And, and, uh, and I don't know how I got as close as I did to him. Cause usually they bought, they, they, the mule deer are weird. Even you could put the best stock on them sometimes, but it seems like they only let you get 60 to 70 yards and they, they jump up and then they bounce away. Like, unlike a white tail where they look so goofy when the first time you ever see it running away, you know, you almost start laughing. Cause it's just, they don't <laughs> run like a white tail. And, but I, I came over this knoll and there was two bucks bedded down and I could see them and they were wider than their ears. So yeah. boom, I'm game on, you know, and it was, he, they were right by a fence. And so I, I kind of snuck down along the fence all the way down. And sure enough, I got lucky with the whole Turan thing where I could get just close enough. But when I came up over this hill, they were right there. And I might get a little hard time for this too, but when I, when I shot at him, he was bedded down. The other one that was with him was, um, not, he jumped up. Well, he didn't jump, but he just stood up when I came over the knoll. Cause then we spotted him from a long ways away again, just like the antelope and just the same, same deal getting cactuses in your knee. But when I, when I drew back and I shot him at 34 yards, I shot him bedded down and I smoked him and, and my buddies were with me at this time. They were at the truck way back behind me. And I can hear him yelling, all oh, yipping and you know, when I shot, cause I knew I smoked him. You could see it cause you can see so far out there yeah. and he runs, he, he actually ran probably a hundred over, over hundred yards, but he fell over and I lifted my bow up in the air and just screaming to the sky, you know, and, and they came driving up and they're like, dude, that was awesome. They were, they watched the whole thing. So it was, so it, was were, it was kind of cool to have that, have them there, you know? Right. For sure. So they were bedded kind of in a fence line as you were kind of stalking up to that buck, um, to, you know, cause was this a, this was like a midday hunt when they were bedding, you saw, you were just glassing, you spotted them and then you decided yeah. to put a stock on them. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We, we did the morning drive around trying to, trying to find good deer, they're moving out of the alfalfa fields. We, did, we saw some that morning, but none of them were really worth shooting. They were big forks. and uh, But we happened to drive up over this, this two-track we'd never even been on because you just find so many little trails out there that you can you can get a truck down, and we just sit on top of them, and we, we saw them. And, yeah, they were bedded down. It was like noon, and, you know, they weren't right by that fence. Row. So I knew if I followed that fence all the way down, it'd come out right to them. So it, it just worked out well is all, you know, Right. it was awesome. Right. It was just awesome. I'll never forget so, it. And is this your, this was your second mule deer, right? Yep. This is my second mule deer. It was a, if you don't count the little brow times, it was a four by four. And, uh, you know, I know how they, they count them different out there as a muley, but, but yeah, he was, it was nice. It was probably 
16, 17 inches, eh, probably 18 inches wide. I don't really remember. I didn't really measure it, but right. real tall, just super tall. Things just sit like two foot off his head, you know? Right, right. Okay. So, so you know, you were, you started stalking up to him when that other one stood up. Did you fear he, he had maybe, he had busted you or did, at yes, that point, did, I did. you stop? Or were you in shooting range at that point? Oh yeah, I was for sure. Cause that knoll I came up over, I couldn't believe they let me really get that close to him. And I, and I could see his antlers and I range find his, uh, antlers. Actually, I just said there and it's at 34 yards. I'm like, Holy cow. I hardly even need to range find this, you know, yeah. I'm that close. And yeah, when I drew back, the other one must've saw me cause it stood up and I stood up and I mean, a split second, that thing could have, the one I shot could have bolted, but I put it right, the pin right on him and I got him before he even had a chance. And yeah, that other one made me nervous, you know, cause I could have completely missed it. He stood up shot right underneath him, but I just acted quick and, and put him right in the, right through the chest and got him. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. I've never understood why some people would have a hard time of shooting a bedded animal. I mean, mm-hmm. as a predator, you know, we're in a way predators and we want to take advantage of what we feel is the highest type of, you know, highest, I guess, from a, st- a statistic standpoint, the high- highest chance that you're going to end-, end up killing that buck. And if that buck is unaware of you and mm-hmm. you have a-, a good enough shot, I-, I say, hell, why not take it? Yeah, that's what I say too, you know. And, and I'm confident in my, my shooting and I, my bow is very fast. I'll, I know I can, I can put that arrow where it should be. So yeah, I mean, take the shot if you know you can do it. So that's the way I look at it, you know? Right. Okay. So let's see here. You gotta buy, and this was in September of this year, right? Yep. Okay. So now what did you do? Did you head back to Michigan and, uh, work a couple more weeks and then, you know, make it for the, I guess the opener for Michigan or did you go somewhere else? I went back to Michigan and definitely went back to work. I do a lot of spring. So that's kind of what I do out at the farm and I had to get back on and I had to get on that and, uh, help out the fam and get everything done. But in the meanwhile, I was checking my trail cameras ready for the upcoming Michigan bow season, which is October 1st and just getting on it and checking my cameras. I I don't know how many have them out, eight or nine of them out. And I have them even up at my cabin um, on state land. And um, I got them all around the farms and little woodlots and little, little nooks and crannies, if you will. And I just, you know, I'm patient with it. You know, I check them, I try to check them maybe once a week. I, sometimes it's tempting because out where I'm, where I'm working is where my cameras are. So it's like, ah, oh, I got a little time during lunch break, but, <laughs> but you know, it's tempting. I try to stay out of it as much as I can, especially when the, the testosterone kicks in and, and they rub that velvet off. They completely change their habits, you know, right. and some of the nice deer I have on camera always leave. They always leave. And, and it's frustrating, you know, cause you, you get addicted to a deer and you want that deer and you know, it's, and you don't see him or you, he's not on your camera. It's frustrating. Cause you, you know, where, when's he going to come back? Is he ever going to come back? I don't know. 
But usually that's what happens. They leave here, and then we usually see a, some decent deer come back during the rut. And God knows where they go, because yeah. obviously it's the, the safe havens around around the area. But you know, it's it's frustrating, but it's it's so much fun to to know that there's one out there worth hunting. So so when you hunt, you can maybe wait for that deer, which I do now. I don't shoot anything small anymore, and it's just it's just fun. The challenge of it, you know. Right. So. What day does bow season open in Michigan? It's October 1st. I think it was Friday this year. Friday, Friday. Or I don't even know. It was Friday. Yeah, it was. Okay. And uh, I went out in the morning and I kind of laughed I, on my Facebook. I said, ah, I'm going to hunt even if it's raining anyway, because it was raining hard in Michigan. Right. And, and I hunted anyway. And I saw deer. But I had this particular eight point on camera all summer long and I wanted that deer. I was literally hunting that deer and he was coming in regularly, which, which was awesome. Even September 30th, I had him on my camera that evening, but I'm very skeptical on this spot hunting in the morning. It just, just deer always seem like they're in there. And last thing I want to do is blow out the one deer I want to kill and went out there anyway in the morning I'm, you know, got all the gadgets going, um, my Ozonics and spray down, you know, cause I haven't done it in so long, getting all excited to go sit in a tree stand and, uh, did not see, uh, see him in the, in the morning or the evening. And then Saturday came around, it would be the second. Okay. I, uh, I did not hunt in the morning. I told myself, I'm not going to hunt in the morning i had a couple extra beers with some buddies that night I, I need to stay out of there i need to only hunt i only need to hunt in the evening because i just i don't know i just know this spot and, and i don't want to ruin it early for me so so i went in there in the evening i got out there nice and early and the crazy thing was all that rain i think it was like a hurricane or something went through the country right and and the rain was just all right. over the place yeah, and, and when that was south right everybody got a little bit of it i think but but it just completely stopped that next day and when i went out and always it seems like i see deer whenever that rain or a storm moves through right after and and sure enough that thing came in and he had like three other bucks with him and i knew i knew it was on he came he came right in he turned sideways i draw back i put the arrow through him he goes 30 yards and fell over and I have everything on my trail camera, literally <laughs> every step of the way, you know, you can see him get closer, see him get closer. And literally I have a trail camera picture where he's standing there one second and my arrow is in the ground. You can see it the next. And, nice. you know, I didn't even have time to get nervous. I mean, there's really no more to say than that. It happened that fast. I see, see him come in. They came right in and there's a lot of acorns. Um, in this particular woods and, and early season, that's, that's kind of what you want to get around. So that it just worked out so well for me. I was so happy and you know, everybody, everybody laughs at me cause I hunt one particular deer, but like I said, you get obsessed and you, that's just how you do it, you know? Right. Okay. So kind of a Michigan opener in and out for you, huh? <laughs> Basically, you know, okay. and, and I, the Michigan has a combo tag too. So I, I have another buck tag, but 
I had nothing on camera that I wanted to shoot for the longest, you know, time during mid-October. So I really didn't hunt hard in Michigan this year after I got that deer. I was pretty satisfied. I still sat just to sit somewhere. But, you know, but I, I, I got it done early. It was fun. Nice. Yeah, that, that October, like three days into the uh, three days into the season is definitely uh, is definitely early. But after that, then you made another move, right? I did. Are you talking about Illinois? Right. That's right. Um, where you look <laughs> like a, like a mountain man with your big beard. I do. Hair. Oh man. <laughs> Disgusting. It was, it was bad this year. I left a beard go, but you know what? That's what fall oh, no. all about, you know? No, that's not Heck disgusting. Yeah. If anybody I know gives you, you shit for one. having, if anybody <laughs> gives you shit about that beard, man, you just look at them and tell, you, they must not love you for who you are then. You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I know. So, you, you got to have the face cam. I mean, when someone has they shave, you know, and they're so it, just a baby face sitting up there in a tree. You got to have something on your face. You gotta That's do. right. The deer will notice that and they'll run the other direction. They will. You'll never kill a deer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you, so then you make a trip to Illinois and mm-hmm. what, what's the story with Illinois, man? Are you again on um, a piece of private property? Did you use an outfitter? Did you, uh, state ground? What's the deal there? This this is a state ground actually. We we've hunted down there um for a few years. My dad and uncles they just kinda got a group together and started going down there and I actually started going down there in high school. And okay. and I'm twenty nine now, so I mean it's been over ten years. And I've been there almost almost every year. I did a trip to Missouri one year, I did a trip to Nebraska with some buddies. But almost every year I've gone to Illinois and hunting state land down there is still awesome because you see deer that most people in Michigan would be like, holy cow, just, it's just a different realm. And, and even, you know, and so we go down there, we stay in a a state campground, you know, haul a trailer and, and you can even hunt the campground that we're hunting, you know, or where we're staying. And and it's just beautiful. We love the woods, the creek bottoms, the big white horns on the corn fed deer. It's just, it's just something that we got addicted to. So we, we kept going. But the last couple of years that we went, we really weren't seeing many deer. So try to hold your head up high and, and, and go that extra mile. And being state land, you're going to run into guys. And, you know, you can read articles and magazines, this and that. You go the extra mile, you'll get good deer. I That is spot on true because I did. We actually hauled a boat down there this year so I could hunt an island. And, you know, going that extra mile and doing that, put no more work into it. It does get you good deer. You know, I know it can be frustrating and sometimes you'll go years without killing a nice one, but just, we hauled that boat all the way from Michigan just so I could hunt an Island. You know, I had to convince my dad to, to bring his little, it was a little like 14 foot lun boat and, and man, it was so worth it. It was so much fun. It was less work once you get in the boat and get over there than walking anywhere else. Cause you don't have to go that far once you're on that Island. And, and just, it's just more of a non-hunted piece. Not as many guys are going to go out there with a boat, you know, it's simple as that. So it, it really got run, me. Did you run into that? any other guys on the, on that Island? I did. I actually did. But this Island's like probably two miles long, mile and a half okay. long, but it's only like 300 yards wide at some point. Okay. And, but I did run into guys and funny story. I run in the tree. I end up getting my Illinois deer in down there this year. 
I was going to hunt it, hunt this particular tree and I go out there and there's like a 14 year old kid in it. And I'm like, Oh man, there's already a hunter here. And he kind of waves me over. I go over there and I'm like, Hey buddy, I could tell it was a kid. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Hey man, sorry to walk in on you. I didn't think anybody would be out here. You know? And he goes, Oh, it's okay. And he, he looked, you know, with my big mountain man beard, he probably was scared shitless, you know, <laughs> you know, he put some guy walking up to him, you know, it was funny, but, but I, I just felt bad. I walked in on him and stuff. So I'm like, Hey man, I'll let you go. I'm like, Hey, does, do you know if anybody else is on the Island? So I don't walk in on them. Cause you're, you're trying to be respectful. You know, right. everyone has the right to hunt this land. And, and he goes, no, my dad dropped me off in a boat. He's off somewhere else. So I didn't really worry about his dad. And I ended up hunting somewhere else that night. And, uh, ended up seeing just a few deer throughout the week, you know, and, and I ended up coming back to that tree and that's the tree I got my deer in. So, so so was this an afternoon hunt for this? Yeah. The night I, uh, walked in on the kid or yeah. No, the the night. And and the night I got my deer. Yeah. I got it in the evening. Yep. So did you have a climber or like a, like a stand, a hang on with sticks or what kind of, for, cause it, it's kind of like a run and gun setup, right? Yeah, it is, you know, and you gotta legally, you're supposed to pull your stand out every night cause it's state ground. It's just one of the rules this particular area has. It's, it's a state fish and wildlife area, you know, state ground. So it's state funded and all that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all over in Illinois, you know, you go to any lake or any area, they're, they're all like that. And they have particular rules sometimes. And sometimes you have to sign in some of the places, you know, and you know, you, they're, they, they manage it well. They a lot better than Michigan DNR does. You know, they, you have to call on your deer, just the simplicity of that can go a long way. I really would wish Michigan would do that, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I used my hang on, I used lone wolf. I had the climber and a hang on, but I decided to take the hang on for this particular tree because it's pretty gnarly and I, and I can't get the climber up. So I take the, the hang on out there and I usually carry four sticks with me. I get out to this tree and, and the, what made me come back to this tree too, is we had a cold front go through finally. And I, I I knew it was going to be a good spot. It's just a perfect traveling area um, for, for, for deer. It's actually not far from where I killed the deer the year before. So I knew, I knew deer would be moving. I go up and I'm not kidding you. I was probably eight feet in the tree. That's it. Because <laughs> I just couldn't go any higher. There's, it's like a canopy of branches and, and I didn't want to go any higher to restrict any of my shooting. Cause I only had one big window of, of shooting. So I only went eight foot in the tree. I mean, a guy that could jump could have slammed on my tree stand, right. you know, and, and I went up in it and while I was setting it though, I look across the, the water and onto this other piece of land and I can see does everywhere. And I hadn't seen a deer in like two days. So I'm like, Holy yeah. cow, that's what they look like. You know, <laughs> I was all, I was all excited. And all of a sudden this buck walks over the knoll and right by the does. And it's a nice buck, you know, I'm, I was just gig, but I'm still setting my stand up. So I'm freaking out. Like I need to get in this tree now. So I'm scrambling. I get this tree stand set up. I didn't even have the stand really like seated well into the tree or anything. You know, it's kind of, you know, you got to lift a bottom up and it's kind of seats down yeah. into the tree. And, and uh, finally got set up. I literally grabbed my bow, set it on the hanger, 
and I look across and all the does were walking the other way, um, across the water towards the Northwest away from me. I'm like, dang it. They're not going to come around to my side. So wait a second, wait a second. You're on an Island, right? You come back to this tree and then across the water, you see does and a decent buck. Then the deer start walking through the water to, to (laughs) yeah, I should probably clarify that. No, this island has huge coves in it of fingers of water, and and I could see it across onto the other finger of woods, you know. And and there's so there's some of the spots on this thing is so thick, you know, a human hardly can walk through it, and that's why I think a lot of the deer bed there. But no, I could see the deer across the waterway of the finger of water and onto the land further away from me, you know. So it's on the the island I'm hunting, but it's just across one of those fingers. And, and the bucks I found, found follow the contour of the lake. They really don't go for, far away from the lake. It's really weird. Like, they're, they're, I found scrapes on the mud, like, into those little coves on that island. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, nice. really cool. And, you know, they'll, and there's, like, a little shelf along the, the water's edge, too. There's sometimes three, four foot. And all of a sudden, a deer will go boop and pop right up right by you. You know, it's, it's the craziest thing. But, so, so this... So you saw a buck in on the same island with, or these does were on the same island as you, right? Yes. Okay. So this buck popped out. What happened after that? He pops out after I get my stand set, and I could see they were going the other way, but it was all just the does. But when I when I when I all the does disappeared, I was bummed. I thought the buck would be with them, but it's kind of thick. I couldn't tell if he was with them or not. But sure enough. I see him all of a sudden walking along the lake edge and I'm going, holy cow, he's right there. He's not even with the does yet. So I scramble in my pack because I haven't even unloaded anything out of my backpack or anything. And and I plan on sitting out there um, in the morning too. So I had like sandwiches and everything else I'm digging through. And uh, because I was going to leave my backpack hanging in the stand that night. And I find my grunt call. And I grunt at him twice and he's probably 125 yards away. I grunt at him twice and it like must echo across that water real nice. And, and he heard me sure enough. He heard me. He gets up on the knoll. I was talking about where those does were heading. And I'm, I mean, it's either he's going to go with those does or he's going to come to me. And I grunt it again. He looks over at me, kind of shakes his tail, was thinking a little bit. And I grab my doe bleat. I faced directly away from me and I bleated once. When he heard that, I've never seen a deer respond to a call so well. He puts his head down, and he walks the whole contour of the lake. Well, I should say trot, because he literally put his head down and trotted the whole way to me. And fast as that, he's, he's running right at me. I draw back when he gets through some cover that I, I knew he wouldn't see me drawing, he comes right up. I thought he was going to go right broadside, right up along the hill next to me. Instead, he walks right at me. And keep in mind, I'm only eight feet in the tree. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, this deer is going to literally, you know, run into me. His antlers might hit my tree stand, you know, like I'm just freaking out. But I'm at full draw. And I almost took a front shot down into the down, you know, down the neck and into the chest cavity, but I decided to wait and he turns just enough. And I mean, I shot him at five yards and I'm only eight feet in the tree. 
I literally saw my arrow go through them. And it actually didn't go all the way through them, surprisingly, because I must have got a little bit of shoulder. And the arrow's just hanging out, and he didn't even – he ran up the hill. So he's right next to me now, eye level with me, because I'm eight feet in a tree. <laughs> and I see him standing there, and thirty. he went 35 yards and just stood there, just blood pouring out of him. And I, it's like 3.30 in the afternoon, because I just got out there saying my right. fan. And I, it's just bright sun shining on him. I can see it pouring out of him. I'm, I'm in awe. You know, I'm in shock. Yeah. And I see him standing, and he stood there for a lot longer than I really liked. He stood there for a minute or two. <clears throat> and I'm like, holy cow, will he not go down? I would have shot him again if it wouldn't have been a bunch of brush in front of him. Yeah. And he had just watched him, and he just laid down. I'm like, holy crap, that just happened. You know? It, it was just the craziest feeling. I, I got down out of the stand, and I waited about five minutes to make sure I didn't fall out of the stand and calm down a little bit. <laughs> and uh, got down walk up and sure enough it's the largest buck the largest buck i've ever killed and i got it on state land awesome man so then you had to gut him drag him down to the boat get him in the boat and then take him to the boat landing yeah that's actually a funny story too because i did not have a knife i <laughs> totally forgot a knife but but my dad had came out on that island with me. I finally convinced him to come out there because he's like, ah, oh, it's way too much work to, to do all that. And I'm like, dad, it's less work. Just get out of the boat. I'll tell you where to go. So I had dropped him off earlier on the island down about a half mile. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't have a knife. So I'm hunting like right along the water. So I go get the boat on, which was like two, 300 yards behind me. And I drive the boat all the way around right next to me. And I drug him right down, right into the boat. I mean, literally nice. fell right into the boat, right off that little lip I was telling you about, like with the deer pop up. Right. And he literally fell right into it. So I got this big old fat deer in this boat, beautiful 11 point, you know, and I'm just freaking out and it's daylight, you know? And then my dad texts me, he goes, Hey, you can pull your tree stand. Cause I didn't even kill it. Told him I killed a deer yet. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, I got one too. I'm oh, like, boy. no freaking way because i was going to leave my stand for him you know because he was bumming he wasn't seeing much deer for the week we're down there and sure enough i uh i couldn't couldn't get out of there fast enough i pulled all my stuff so i got my lone wolf my deer you know all in this boat there's blood all over the boat it was awesome i'm driving <laughs> through this lake so happy that my dad got one sure enough i go in the cove come up and then he goes i find him in this tree finally and He's like, it's right there. And sure enough, he got a nice nine point. Oh, and nice. so we both didn't have a knife, of course, which is stupid. <laughs> but it, I, sometimes I swear it brings you luck if you don't have one. And uh, so I started dragging his deer out for him. And uh, he stayed and started pulling his stand. And I got his deer in the boat by myself, too. And so we went back to, got in the boat. And it was about dark by that point. And we got two big deer in the boat. And me and my dad, that boat was pushing some serious water. That was sure. That was for sure. <laughs> and but yeah, I got back and uh, just left them right in the boat. We hauled them all the way back to the campground, and uh, we ended up gutting them at the campground. But but it was sure something, you know. That's hunting for you. You you hunt so hard. It's frustrating. You're not seeing animals. You're you're trying to get them to the best of your knowledge, and just like that, it changes, you know. And, and it's awesome, you know. And on state land too to do it because. 
who knows who's been walking through all through the places you're hunting, you know, some guy could have just been walking around out of bed, a bedding area I hunted and, you know, to get a deer like that, I am tickled. Well, that's kind of cool, especially to share a hunt like that with your dad on, it's like not a lot of people take a boat to their whitetail hunting prop, you know, right. their whitetail hunting. So to, you know, you and your dad in a boat, you drop your dad off, you both kill on the same exact night. It, that, that would just be, that would be something that obviously you're never going to forget. Oh, absolutely. You know, driving across that lake, looking up at the stars, you know, just, you don't, you don't forget stuff like that. And I'm, my dad's getting older now, you know, and he's the guy that taught me how to hunt, right. you know, and to still be able to share that with him is, is something, you know, That's awesome. it really is. Well, man, it sounds like uh, you've had one hell of a season, ex- you know, especially behind the bow so far this year. And uh, I just want to say thanks for taking your time. Thanks for taking time to come on this uh, podcast and uh, talk about your season so far. Yeah, I appreciate you. Sorry if I took a lot of your time, but I, I love telling the stories and, uh, you know, I, and I appreciate you, you, you having me on. I really do. All right, huge shout out to Eric for coming on the show. Thanks for taking time out of your Blueberry Farmers Day to come on the podcast and uh, share those stories with us. Huge shout out to you guys, the listeners, for coming on the show, not coming on the show, downloading the show and uh, taking an hour or more out of your day to, uh, you know, listen to an idiot interview uh you know, average Joe's throughout the uh, entire entire United States. Other than that, guys, uh, be sure to check out DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers to find out more about DeerLab and then ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And remember, if you guys do decide to purchase something from Exodus, one of their trail cameras, enter the code Nine Fingers and you will receive $20 off your order. Make sure you guys are following me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, I'll keep this short today. If you guys are out gun hunting, please be safe and please wear your damn safety harness.